Welcome to the Pokes Podcast. I'm Jacob Longin, Coordinator of Communications and Marketing for the College of Arts and Sciences at Oklahoma State University. If you have ever attended an OSU sporting event or spent much time at all in this state, you'll probably recognize the lyric, Oklahoma, where the wind comes sweeping down the plains. That familiar phrase is the opening line of the Oklahoma State song, and it comes from the musical Oklahoma. That production was the first collaboration of the legendary duo of Rodgers and Hammerstein. It premiered on Broadway in 1943, becoming a smash hit that ran for an unprecedented 2,212 performances. It was the basis of an Academy Award-winning 1955 film adaptation and remains popular more than 75 years later with a Broadway revival as well as a television series in the works. OSU's Department of Theater is presenting Oklahoma in four sold-out shows Thursday through Sunday in the Vivia Locke Theater. To preview the production, I interviewed the music director. Megan Barth Argo is an artist-in-residence for theater as well as a faculty member in the Greenwood School of Music. She's a rising collaborative artist and vocal coach who has performed and studied throughout the U.S. and Barcelona, Spain. She has participated in numerous festivals, including Brevard, Songfest, Baldwin-Wallace Art Song Festival, and Atlantic Music Festival, where she was both a pianist and apprentice coach under Arlene Schrutt. She holds Master of Music degrees in vocal coaching and piano performance, as well as a bachelor's degree in piano performance. Uh, well, thank you for joining us today, Megan. Yeah, you're welcome. So one thing I wanted to ask you, I think most people are probably not familiar with the concept of an artist in residence. Mm-hmm. What, what does that mean? So an artist in residence um, is someone that that a department will bring in for a specific purpose. Like for my purpose, it's for music directing and also for vocal coaching. So for vocal coaching, I, I meet with the students about half hour a week. I don't meet with every student, it's just students who are interested in musical theater. So we work on developing their voice and on developing their audition book, um, anywhere from like Golden Age, so Rodgers and Hammerstein, just like Oklahoma, to more contemporary musical theater and um, even to pop songs because pop songs are becoming more and more of um, a required element of auditions in New York and in L.A. as different shows on Broadway tend to veer towards that direction. Um, one, one difference besides artist in residence with the Department of Theater this year was that I was also hired on as faculty with the Greenwood School of Music. Um, because I do opera and musical theater as a, as a vocal coach, pianist, and music director, they went ahead and hired me on to do the opera as well, which has been wonderful because I, I love both sides and I think it's very important for students to have access to both sides as singers because the similarities and differences allow them to strengthen themselves as performers, as singers. And it's also allowed me the, to have a better, better grasp on the students' abilities, especially with this particular production of Oklahoma, because we have, we have about 40 in the cast, ranging from very young students, um, and even a couple high school students, a couple children, um, two couple faculty members, but we have a good amount of both music students and theater students, which I think has been wonderful to collaborate together. And you uh, just mentioned Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Now I understand you are the musical director. Yes. 
and Anne Cooley is the director. Yes. What is the difference? So the difference between a musical director and a director is the fact that um, the music director focuses on all the music. So the very first week of production, um, I went ahead and met with each individual character and coached them on their own individual music. I did the duets, and then I also did the ensemble numbers. So coaching, meaning that I worked on breaths, on, on their style, um, making sure it's not too contemporary. It's more of, of that time of 1943. And also in terms of ensemble, making sure everything's well-balanced, harmonies are correct, cutoffs are correct, and just shaping and adding everything that I needed and also adding in um, the drama, making sure that everything was sung for a reason and not just as a song. And as director, a director focuses more on the acting, on the blocking, and piecing all of that together as a whole. And Anne is unique in the fact that she is actually a choreographer as well. She's a rockette for many years in New York before she started directing. And so she's choreographed some incredible numbers um, in, in Kansas City, and of course the dream ballet sequence, and various other little dance elements that will be throughout the show. So Oklahoma mm-hmm. is obviously, uh, for those of us who are from Oklahoma, and I know yeah. you've lived in the state for how long now? Six years. Six years. Mm-hmm and myself, I'm a native Oklahoman. Uh, I'm not, there aren't a lot of musicals I've ever seen, but mm-hmm. that is definitely one I'm seeing. Oh, of course. So I'm it, sure. it has a special place in my heart. Why did you all choose to do this? Was it uh, just an obvious, hey, we're going to do a musical, let's do Oklahoma? Actually, the reason being, um, as many people probably know, um, the Greenwoods are helping to support this particular production. And this year is Anne's 65th birthday. And so this is her birthday present from Michael. And so he provided, we we all got together and discussed what we wanted to do. And we decided, she thought that that would be a wonderful choice to celebrate her birthday. And so actually the Saturday evening performance will specifically be in honor of her. And I was looking at the website just before mm-hmm. we sat down here. And by the time we release this, it may be that all the shows are sold out. Yeah. Within within the first day of tickets being being up, I believe most days were actually sold out, which is very exciting. I think this is one of the first times, especially since I've been here, that this has ever happened. So I'm sure you thought there would be increased interest. Yes. But did you expect this? Not quite to this extent, no. But I am very happy that it is. Yeah, I'll bet. I mean, you, yeah. you don't want to put in all that work and have nobody there. No. So. And I, I think there are a lot of elements playing into it. I mean, not only the tremendous support from the Greenwoods, but also the fact that we have brought in Ann Cooley, who's been an incredible director, um, coupled with the fact that we have such a large cast and a collaboration between theater and music for this production. Let me ask you the uh, the two-sided coin question. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite part and what is your least favorite or the most challenging part of Oklahoma as a production? I think my favorite part, obviously, as a as an ensemble member is Oklahoma, just hearing that and now being 
even though I'm not a native Oklahoma Oklahoman, knowing that now I am considered an Okie, so to speak, um, that always has a special place in my heart every time that I hear the cast sing that and as we perform that. Um, I think the most challenging part has been really making this production our own. And as a music director, part of my job is to kind of pare down things and to shape it into what will showcase us best. And so I've done a lot of cutting and pasting of music. So we're still keeping everything true to what Rodgers and Hammerstein would have wanted, but it's not as long as it would have been because normally the show runs about three to three and a half hours and we've cut it down to about two and a half. So that's been the most challenging part for sure. As well as just keeping the energy up. There, there are times, the first act is, is quite long, it's about an hour and a half. The second act is challenging because after Oklahoma, we still have quite a ways to go. And so we have to keep that energy up and running all the way till the end. And I think that's the most challenging part. So I have seen a live production of it before, but when you mention Oklahoma to me, I automatically think of the movie because I've seen that more. Do you feel like this is more faithful to the musical theater production or the movie? I think it has elements of both. We've definitely tried to <clears throat> keep it true to the, to the original theatrical production. And I know as a music director, I have really pushed to make sure that vocally everything has more of those elements. So in some ways it's more operatic, particularly with Curly and Maury, compared to, say, what is actually on Broadway right now, because Oklahoma has come back to Broadway. And as a brand new orchestration, it's much more modernized. Even stylistically, with the vocals, it's much more modernized. It has a bit more belting and... and um, has a little bit more pop style to it, which is what I wanted to avoid. I wanted to keep it tr much more true to um, to the theatrical production. Um, there are elements, though, that I th that we have taken from the movie, or at least like, kept consistent, because there are many consistent elements between the two. As a music director, I love Gordon McRae and his his portrayal of Curry of Curly, and so vocally. Our, our curly Dylan Aaron, I've worked with him to add some elements that I really like from Gordon McRae's voice. Not to mimic him entirely, but to keep that consistency and have those little elements that people can grab onto when they hear it. And I didn't realize until I was doing a little reading preparing for this interview that mm -hmm. Oklahoma was the first thing Rodgers and Hammerstein did together. Yeah. Yes, it was. And actually, Oh, What a Beautiful Morning was the very first song that they ever collaborated on. That I've always known Oklahoma was a Rodgers and Hammerstein musical, and we've got what I think is a pretty great state song oh, yeah. <laughs> from them. But I didn't realize when you talk about Rodgers and Hammerstein, it, this is where it starts. This is the beginning of Rodgers and Hammerstein. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I kind of always knew that having having worked in musical theater for, for quite some time. But in preparation for the show, I did a lot of reading of biographies and whatnot. And yeah, they didn't start collaborating until they were both in their 40s. And Rogers had worked with Lawrence Hart, and Oscar had worked with Jerome Kern. Of course, they did Showboat. And so Oklahoma was 
wonderful for them. It was like a new beginning to them because they both had had so many failures up to that point. So they were looking for something fresh and new. And they little did they know what a huge hit <laughs> this would be. And also just the start of such an incredible dynasty for musical theater. Can you explain why that was such an important uh, thing besides just the beginning of their cl- collaboration? It was very important because it revolutionized musical theater. Um, I think people forget that element of it because we always just think of Oklahoma as being Oklahoma. But up until that point, musicals such as like Crazy For You or anything done by Cole Porter, everything had a storyline, but the music was never part of that storyline or the dance. They were just kind of potpourried without or throughout the production. Whereas with Oklahoma, the book, the text all came first, Um, particularly with Rodgers and Hammerstein, Oscar would always write the lyrics first and then Rodgers would write the music. And so this was the first time that all elements, dance, book, song, all came together as one to create a story. And of course they carried that on with Carousel, um, Sound of Music years later, The King and I, and um, South Pacific. And so that really revolutionized and gave a new format for what musical theater is today. I was reading about how this set all kinds of records. Oh, yes. It was, people had never seen anything like this and seems like they really responded to it. Yeah, it definitely did. Um, In terms of the orchestra itself, the orchestra was huge. It had about 20 string players in the original orchestra, which very few people do today because it's a huge orchestra to fill. Um, but also, it, it it ran on Broadway longer than any other show had. I believe it was 2,212 performances. And up till today, I think there's been, I know there was a revival in 2002 and before that in 1998, and of course, as I mentioned earlier, there's now the new revival on Broadway. So it's just always going. Yes, it's always going. And I, because of its significance, I think that's why it has such a great legacy. One thing I have learned since uh, taking this job is that some of the differences between opera and musical, I, mm-hmm. uh, I think most people who aren't in that world have not really thought about that. Can you explain for someone what the differences are? The main differences between opera and musical theater, opera is is sung throughout. There are some parts of opera, for instance, Magic Flute by Mozart, which is actually called a Zingspiel in German, and so it does have some spoken dialogue. However, you know, if you're looking at Puccini, Mozart, any any of the the staples in opera, it is going to be sung throughout, and there are no mics. So the singers really have to use their technique and their resonance to sing above the orchestra. Also, acting was not as much as at the forefront back in the day with opera. It was more of a big theatrical production without that. Um, nowadays, they have this joke that is called park and bark. <laughs> and, you know, during the time of like Pavarotti and a lot of those famous opera singers that we know today, it was it's about the voice. First and foremost, opera is about the voice. And so acting is becoming more and more of an element 
in opera and more of a need. But it wasn't back in the day. It was more more about the voice than anything else. It still is. Um, whereas musical theater tends to focus more on acting. In my opinion, voice is still just as important because it is musical theater. So OSU students, one of the benefits of coming to OSU and being a cast student is interacting with these professionals who come in and teach them even sometimes like for a day, maybe for an hour. But people like you're here as an artist in residence. Ann Cooley is a visiting artist. Mm -hmm. The New York Philharmonic, uh, which will be opening, have the opening performance at the McKnight Center, but some of their performers are doing master's classes. Gary Busey was here. What do you think the students gain out of interacting with people who've had so much professional success uh, as visitors? As visitors, I think it's important for students to gain a fresh perspective and, and also to become aware of what is expected right now in the real world and, and out there, whether it be for classical music or for musical theater in New York, acting in LA whatever it would be um, I know for <clears throat> excuse me for the opera students we had a guest artist Western Hurt come and give a master class and he spoke about just the process of becoming uh, an opera singer and all the steps that you have to take which again is a little different than say you know someone who wants to be a musical theater but I know also for myself when I was a student having guest artists coming in and, you know, whether I would perform in a master class or work with them personally, developing those relationships is invaluable. You don't know where it's going to lead. Um, for instance, my before I graduated from Oklahoma City University, that particular semester, Suzanne Menser, who's a very famous mezzo-soprano, she's sung for Pavarotti, she has been on the Metropolitan stage many times. Um, she came and did a master class, and I, I performed in that master class with a good friend of mine, um, some music that was written by Libby Larson, who's a living composer. And so I got to spend a lot of time with Suzanne, and later that spring, because of that connection, she actually personally recommended me for Songfest, which is a very prestigious art song and operatic program, which is based in L.A., and so because of that, I got to work with many big names. I got to work with Libby Larson herself and William Bolcom and a lot of living composers, as well as to get some connections with L.A. Opera. And without her residency, even though it was only a couple of days at OCU, that would have never happened. So I think it's very important to expose students to these artists who are coming in, again, it, it brings us, it allows connections to the outside world. One thing I have thought was interesting, too, is, uh, for example, I got mm -hmm. to interview Gary Busey when he was here, and that experience was exactly what you would expect. But when you meet, when I meet celebrities, you meet them, and for a few minutes, they're a celebrity. And then after that, it's just another person. Yes. <clears throat> Do you think the students also get that experience of, yes, this is someone who's very successful, and I know their name, maybe, you know, they've seen them in a production, but after a little while, they're just a person that they're learning from, and it breaks down that barrier between where the student is and where they want to be. Yes, I think that's very true. 
I'm, I've noticed that with Anne. I've noticed I noticed that again with Weston, who was here a couple of weeks ago. You know, at first, it's it's so interesting to watch the students because, of course, I'd been there, and you see this not look of trepidation, but look of a little bit of fear, like, oh my gosh, there they are. And I remember, for instance, our our auditions for Oklahoma. I could tell the students were pretty terrified, like, oh my gosh, we're singing for this director from New York. But then after a while, especially as we got into callbacks and whatnot, Anne did such a wonderful job of just showing them how genuine she is as as a person, as a director, and how she cared about shaping them as an artist. And I think that's when they saw, wow, this person really wants to connect with me and wants to make a difference in me, as well as the fact that you know, she she came and spoke to the opera class a couple weeks ago and shared her story. And I, I think when students hear how these celebrities have, you know, or artists in residence or whatever, have have developed, they realize, oh, my gosh, there are so many similarities. So many of these people come from small towns and and it's not so much. I mean, they may be very talented, but talent is not the first and foremost important thing. You have to have talent and you have to have the drive and the, the tenacity to get where you want to go. Yeah, and that is true uh, in so many endeavors. I mean, I, I was a sports writer. I saw that in athletes where they would get to the professional level and they'd be all Americans here. And then mm-hmm. I would run into them later and they'd go, no, you don't understand. Like everybody there was an all American. If you're yeah. not working your butt off, you're out quick. Yeah, you have to you're you have to realize that you're always learning, you're always growing and you have to have that hunger inside of you and if you don't then you're not you're not going to keep going. And you're speaking of Ann Cooley mm-hmm. for people who aren't that familiar with her. Mm-hmm. I realize you don't have her, her bio in front of you, but mm-hmm. can you give people an idea of who she is? Yeah, so Ann Cooley, um, of course we we actually started talking about the production and working together back in July. So we've been working together on this on this project for a while, and this is the first time we've collaborated together. Um, but as I've gotten to know her, so she she is originally from Michigan, and her mother was a ballet teacher, and so she grew up dancing. And right after she graduated from high school, she moved to New York. She auditioned for Rockettes and got in her first try. And so she was there, I believe, 14 years. Um, and she she worked for them and did, of course, all of all of the Christmas spectacular celebrations and everything. And so she is an incredible dancer. She also did Will Rogers Follies. And then as time went on, kind of fell into being a choreographer and a director. And her husband... Um, Gordon Penn is actually a playwright and so he's been working with David Henry Wong um, who's at Columbia University and so they recently they've done a lot overseas too for instance um, Gordon's play that I believe was just in New York was actually premiered in Paris and then also in Shanghai back in the fall and so Anna's helped out with that and she's also going to be directing, actually is directing, she went over spring break to Shanghai to do a Grand Hotel at the Shanghai Arts Academy there. And so she'll be going there in May 
to do that. So she's she's a very very versatile um, artist herself, and I know I've really enjoyed working with her. We have very similar visions, and collaborate very well together. And based on your bio, I assume mm-hmm. you have been singing and playing the piano since you were very young. I'm going to guess. And. Ironically, I'm not, I wouldn't call myself a singer, even though I am a vocal coach. Um, most vocal coach, coaches aren't singers. Um, however, you know, I love, I love singers. I love working with them. Part of my job as a vocal coach, I actually have a lot of background in language. So I have a minor in Spanish and, and speak that very fluently. I also coach German, French, Italian in, in opera as well. I'm not quite fluent in all of them, but in terms of diction, I'm, I'm very fluent. And so I've loved that aspect because I've always been fascinated with language. And in terms of piano, I actually, I loved piano from the time I was very little, but didn't start studying it seriously until I was about eight. But I was trained as a classical pianist and I've also performed jazz. I've performed many different styles, which very beneficial in, in music directing, because that's what you do. You, you know, you play so many different styles. You're expected to do things on the fly. You're expected to transpose at sight. So if something's in a key, they're like, okay, let's take it up a step, and you just got to jump in and, and do it. So it always keeps you on your tips. <laughs> and I know it's very common for people who play an instrument to start on the piano and mm-hmm. then move on to some other instrument, maybe another one, another one, another one. Why specifically the piano for you? Why is that the one that you have focused on? I just had an affinity for it from a very young age. We had a piano growing up, and my mother used to play a lot. Um, She she played organ as well, so she you know she would sit down and just kind of play a little bit every day. And so I think hearing that and being attuned to that, I just kind of fell in love with it, and so. You know, I was one of those odd children that loved to practice. So I would always, I practiced hours and hours a day. And and thankfully I did because here I am now. Well, Megan, I want to thank you for joining us today. Oh, you're welcome. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. For more information about this production and to watch for next season's schedule, visit theater.okstate.edu. Thank you for joining us. I'm Jacob Longin, and we'll be back soon with another episode of the Pokes Podcast, where we always close by asking our guests how the arts and sciences are making your world better. I think the arts in general allow us as human beings to to have a fresh perspective on life. Um, Something particularly with music, one of my teachers had said this when I was in high school, and I'll never forget it. You know, any type of art is an expression of our emotions, is an expression of something that we've learned, and often expression of, you know, whether it be architecture or literature from the past. So it's always growing, it's always an expression of who we are.